Do you ever think like you're just playing it a little bit safe? Like there's a wilder, untamed version of you that you really need to release into this world. And that by doing that, you're actually going to have even more potential to design a business you love and get paid to be you by doing exactly what you want. Well, on today's episode, I have a special guest and we go down a slightly different path. So this is a little different. This is much more on the front of a really honest conversation. There's a lot of talk around mindset and self-worth, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. On this podcast, I do try to mix it up between super tactical and practical of ways that you can tap into your potential and get paid to be you. And then sometimes I want to go into those deeper conversations around what's really stopping us and holding us back. And this, I feel, is one of those. So sit back, relax, and grab your cup of coffee or your wine or kombucha and enjoy. Hi, I'm Natalie Sisson, an entrepreneur, best-selling author, speaker, host of this untapped podcast, and a lover of handstands and dogs. I've spent over a decade building successful businesses I love and teaching others to do the same. I want to help you tap into your unlimited potential and make the income and impact you desire simply by being you. In fact, I'm on a mission to help 1,000 women earn at least $10,000 a month and contribute at least 1% of their revenue to causes that they truly care about, so that together we can create a ripple effect in this world. So if that sounds like you, and you're on board to learn how to make the mindset shifts you need to have the business success you want and the lifestyle that you desire, then this is the podcast for you. My guest today is Angie Cole. Angie is a 43-year-old cis female She's queer, she's middle class, she's a southern white woman with liberal anti-racist values, she's neurodivergent, she's a recovering addict, she's a Pisces sun, Sagittarius rising, Libra moon kind lady, and millions of other things that mean everything and nothing about who she really is. And what does she do? Well, essentially, she is a coach, but not just any coach. She really helps you untame your wild and essentially help you do work that keeps you lit up and well paid. And she asks you to step into the truth is that you don't have to settle. You have everything you need to get what you want. It's inside you. It's always been there and that she will help you find it. So in short, she does coaching and mentoring around life and career design. So you can tell why we jammed so well on this podcast and and went deep and just ended up having a really great conversation. And some of the topics that we discussed are the untapped potential of our instinct and intuition, not just for life, but also for business and leadership, how we've entangled our relationship to money, value and worthiness, why that matters and what to do about it. And we also talked about giving ourselves permission to build our businesses and our lives our way, not following all the rules. And what actually gets in the way of doing that? So those are just a couple of the topics that you'll find in this episode. Without further ado, let's dive on in. Angie Cole, welcome to the Untapped podcast. Thanks, Natalie. So good to be here. Yeah. And I'm really excited about what we're going to dive into today. However, I would love for people to know how you tap into your potential and get paid to be you. It has been a journey of learning to trust myself. I don't think we can ask others to pay us to be us until we're really comfortable with who that is and what that means and what makes being us a wonderful, powerful, valuable thing to be. So yeah, it's been a journey of trusting the things that I know. And so in my work, 
one of the nuggets that started all of this was I have a sixth sense of knowing when people are in their sweet spot. Mm. So it used to show up things like going to see a concert, going to see a music show, and there's a different quality. There's a different feeling in the room when that's the thing that person was born to do versus someone who's just playing music and likes playing music. There's a different vibration of things. And for whatever reason, I was just really always tuned into that. Mm. And it resulted in being able to serve my clients in finding their sweet spot. Oh, we have that in common then, because I think that's something that I love to do as well. And I probably talk about to death on this podcast and in my books and everything. Why do you think it is hard for people to spot their own sweet spot? Part of that, I think we take it for granted. The thing that is the most us becomes invisible to us. And Mm -hmm. we make the incorrect assumption that because it feels easy and just a no-brainer to us, that number one, that must be true for everyone else. If I know how to do this thing and it doesn't feel like a big deal and I don't think I'm exceptional in any way, like everybody can do this thing. It must not be that big of a deal. And I've been creating this body of work around money, value, and worthiness. Mm. And that's one of the things that I've really come to understand about value and how value is created. One element of that is something increases in value when it is rare and precious, when there's not a lot of it. I'm dripping in my talents, right? They're everywhere. (laughs) They're the air I breathe. So it doesn't feel like a special thing to me. So it can be really tough to do that in isolation. Yeah, I love that. I've definitely found that too, that it's a blind spot for people because it comes so naturally for them that don't place as much value on it. And if they hear enough of their friends and colleagues and family going, wow, you're so good at this. Have you ever thought about doing this? Or how come it comes so easily to you? I think that's when people often start to sit up and take notice, but it can still take quite a while from there to actually figure out how to monetize that. I realized my question was super leading as well. (laughs) My partner said to me the other day, you asked really leading questions like, were you really excited about that thing? You know, I so I should have said, do you find people have a hard time? But I think it's because I know it so well. And yeah, you and I do a lot of this. So that's really, really important. I'd love to just take up that beautiful nugget that you put out there around the body of work you've been doing around self-worth, money and values, because this is huge. I see this all the time, especially with women, including myself. Yeah. I've written a whole chapter on it in my book around knowing your worth and charging what you're worth. It shouldn't be, but it really is because I think when it comes to you personally placing a value on those beautiful things that you're dripping in talent of, as you said, I love that. It can be really hard. And I've even found myself doing the whole, well, I want to make this affordable to people because I don't want them to miss out and I really, really want to help them. But there's so much (laughs) stuffed into that phrase even that they can't afford it, that I'm assuming they don't see the value in it that I'm assuming I need to discount, not saying these are all the things I do, but have done in order for them to get value out of it. So do you mind sharing a little bit of the body of work and some of what you've been uncovering? Because I really want people to get a sense of why this needs to stop and how we can start to really place a value on ourselves that feels good for us and that also feels good for others. And I want to caveat that with, I was in a Facebook group the other day and one of the people was sharing how they were doing some F, so emotional freedom technique, tapping on themselves because they were charging $1,700 an hour for coaching. And I remember in that instant just going, wow, one, that's a lot of money for one hour of coaching. 
And two, hats off to them because they obviously had found their value in their sweet spot and I didn't know the work that they were doing, so I can't make a judgment on that. But at the same time, there was part of me that was like, is there a reason you have to charge that much? And that's my own money story in itself, I'm sure. But I did kind of feel where is that place of value versus just extreme, I don't know, like we saw preciousness or standing out in the market. So I just thought I'd share that as the context if it gives you a little bit more, because I think even my thinking around it gives insight into where my brain's at. For others, they might be like, that's ludicrous. For others, they might be like, go, go, girl. However, everybody has a place and a worth. And so I just think it'd be really great to discuss what you've been finding. Yes, I could talk about this for. <laughs> Sorry, it was a long context, yeah. but I just wanted to share it because it's top of mind. I know, absolutely. It's perfect. So first, let me distinguish the way that I have come to think about and work with those different words and what they, how I found it helpful to differentiate them. Mm-hmm. So money, value, worth. I use value to talk about, so the separation between value and worth, and it's even interesting the way we use the words, what is it worth? So I really try to separate that. So value, the way I define value is that it is contextual. It requires agreement. So if I want to sell you this cup that I'm currently holding up, dear listeners, (laughs) we have to make an agreement. You have to need the thing that I have. And I have to be willing to give you the thing that I have. When the match is really strong, when the need you have is really high and really strong, and the thing I want to give you is the perfect match, you're going to get the most of what you need, then this cup, this thing, whatever it is I want to give you, increases in value. Okay, so value changes. Same cup might have a different value to you on all kinds of things, how thirsty you are, how much you really enjoy kitchenware, (laughs) but you like the color of this or not. There are all kinds of things that will change the value of the exact same thing for you versus someone else. So value is contextual and it changes. That's really important because when we understand that and how it changes, that's when we can get really creative with tinkering with the value of the things that we're trying to sell. The other thing that creates value, so one is context and fit, and the other is preciousness and rarity. So if everyone in my neighborhood is given 10 of these cups the moment they move in, it's not very valuable. I have the only cup in a 10-mile radius. This cup increases in value. So that is also important because for folks who are creating service-based businesses in particular, where you are the product, you're the cup. And only one of you ever, there might be tens of thousands and millions of coaches or massage therapists or whatever your thing is, but there's only one you. And that's the part we forget all the time. We start to compare ourselves to other people and it gives us the false impression that lowers our value Mm -hmm. when there are other people doing similar things. So separate that. From what we usually do and what we have been well-trained to do by a consumerist capitalist society, which is to conflate, to collapse our value and our worthiness. Mm-hmm. Worthiness is inherent. It doesn't change. It's an inside job. It doesn't require agreement. And what I've come to find is really it's synonymous with unconditional self-love. My sense of worth 
now, this has not always been true, <laughs> part of this journey I've been on, isn't impacted when I screw it up. It's not impacted when I fail, when I gain 50 pounds, which I have done this year in the pandemic. When I have a crappy call with a client and I just feel like I wasn't really there or I didn't really ask the right question, when I fall short of my expectation, that might change the value of that conversation, but it doesn't change my sense of self-worth. I love that. That is a massive. Yeah. Because it means I can experiment. I can take risks. I can play around with my services. I can admit to having a bad day. I can give myself a break. I can sleep in instead of getting up to do the writing I said I was going to do because I'm tired. I can really show up for and be authentic about so many things when I'm not trying to fill the worthiness hole with value. That's Mm. what we do all the time. We have a feeling that there is a missing sense of self-worth. And we try to fill it with value. We try to be the best partner, the best wife, the best mom, the best CEO, the best whatever, in hopes that that will give us the feeling that we deeply, deeply crave, which is a sense of unconditional self-love. And being enough. Being enough, no matter what. So for people listening going, oh, yeah, hands up, that's me. And I can be one of those people. I have huge expectations of myself and the people I love that I always want them to be better and brighter and more wonderful. I can definitely accept where people are at and love them just for that. But for me in particular, it's always been inherent in my nature, which is sometimes fantastic because it means you strive for better things. You always want to put out better value. You really do aim to do the best that you can, but it's a pain in the ass a lot of the other times when you're like, was that good enough? Just like you said, was that client call good enough? Was that group coaching call in the 10K club, really offering enough? Have I given enough of myself this week? And I think that that's all on me to really step back from that and go, actually, yeah, you have. And I think being a personal brand for as long as I have, it's like 11 years now of being kind of the front of my business and being the person who is responsible for every offer, every gift, every course, every call, et cetera, every book. It's a very personal thing to put yourself out there. And while I don't seek external validation, you can't help but kind of look for it or crave it every so often or feel validated by it versus I'm proud that I did this this week. I think this is a great piece of work. I'm really proud of this framework. I think that what I delivered was excellent. It really helped somebody, made an impact. So what's been the journey for you to come through that? And what would you say is even just one method or one key takeaway that people listening can apply and try on themselves? if they're finding this really, really hard. Yeah. One of the things I realized early on, because I have that too, I love excellence. I'm always looking for, my sister used to give me a hard time because I love to cook. But even before we'd had two bitefuls of food, after I'd made this amazing meal, I was already thinking about how I do it differently next time. Right. I was going to say, there's nothing wrong with you loving to cook, but now I see what, yeah, you were already critiquing or thinking, how could it be better? And what I realized is because one night she was like, what are you doing? This is delicious. It's amazing. There's nothing wrong with it. And I realized that I didn't think there was anything wrong with it either, that I actually enjoy the process of refinement. It's Mm. part of the fun, creative process to me to think about 
oh, I would do this a little bit longer and I would add a little bit of this. I enjoy that process. The problem we run into is when that is woven into our sense of feeling okay, our sense that we are enough versus have I done enough? Mm. So I might look at my day and ask the question, do I feel like I did enough? Maybe, maybe not. But to actually sit in a place where that's separate, the answer to that question is irrelevant to, do I love myself today? Do I feel good about me? Do I feel alive? Do I feel nourished? Do I feel whole? Do I feel complete? When I was able to separate those two, I was actually really able to embrace and even get further into that part of me that loves to think about the next bigger, better thing. It's exhausting when that feels hitched to who I am and am I okay? Am I enough? Yeah. So that has been a lot of this journey. It actually started with realizing how heavily I was placing my sense of value and worthiness on my relationships, my romantic Mm -hmm. relationships in particular. It was after a breakup and I just remember sitting sitting in my new living room floor and thinking, I want to do this again. I don't want to get back here again. And by that, I meant I had allowed myself to shape shift and adapt and shrink and chameleon inside a relationship again to the point that I woke up four and a half years later thinking, where did I go? Where's me? There's no me here anymore because all the parts of me that didn't work in this relationship had to take a back seat, had to get smaller, had to shrink, had to dim. So that was the context that woke me up to this idea because I realized that not only had I been, so this is something I see folks do a lot now, now that I realize that this is what I was doing, we substitute external validation for internal validation. Mm-hmm. It is we absolutely okay to want and enjoy the feeling of external appreciation and validation for what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with that. I was really living in this polarity before this or dichotomy of that's a bad thing. I need to be 100% self-validating. That's not uh, realistic either, but substituting, trying to fill Mm. my internal tank through external validation is what had led me to this place of these relationships where I was accepting things that weren't acceptable. So I thought, okay. (laughs) Yeah. I thought, all right, if that's what I've been doing, if I can see that pattern, what can I do to not end up here again in another four years with another person? And I thought, all right, if I'm trying to outsource my (laughs) self-love. I love that analogy, not outsourcing self-love. Yeah. I need to bring that inside. It needs, that needs to be an in-house job. So great. So I have to learn how to love myself. Oh, but I really know what that means. I don't know that I really have role models for what that looks like. Mm. And I remember thinking, it's something Oprah talks about. I know that. Oprah says you got to love yourself. Okay. So I just really went on this exploration of how do you do that? What does that look like? 
I then strip that back to, okay, well, I may not know exactly what it looks, sounds, and feels like to love myself, but I think I have some ideas about what it looks, feels, and sounds like to love other people. So I'm going to start there. Perfect. What do I say when I love someone? What do I do? How do I show that? How do you and treat so them? I just, yes, yeah. How do I treat them? How do I mm-hmm. speak to them? And so those were the places it started for me. Mm-hmm. I started to really pay attention to the words that were up here in my brain box and the words I was using. And at the time, the way I spoke to myself, I would never say those things out loud to another human being. Hmm. Not even an awful, mean person that yelled at me in the street. I would never say those things to someone else. So I was like, all right, we don't talk that way to people who we love. So I began to keep that boundary with myself. I didn't even know what else to do. I didn't know what to say instead, but I could at least interrupt the mean, hurtful, abusive, quite frankly, things that I was saying. And just, I would literally say to myself, we don't talk like that in this house. <laughs> I, I parented to an kid. <laughs> We don't talk like that. We don't say those things. And the deal I made with myself is I could switch to a neutral thought or I could switch to looking at the facts of what had happened. Anything other than saying awful things to myself, that was okay. That was a step in the right direction. Because in those really charged moments when I really did feel like I was an idiot and a loser and was going to, you know, die alone, it was really hard to reach for you're amazing and you're wonderful. Yeah. I couldn't get there. And so I think that is a stretch for people. (laughs) Yeah. So the only thing out of bounds was anything cruel and mean that I wouldn't say to someone else who I love. And then things around, this is intimate and personal, but I'll share it. How I take a shower. Hmm. Started noticing how would I touch the body of someone who I love? Hmm. My taking a shower is like, scrub, 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 get it over with. Like get out of here. Just very utilitarian, very practical. There was no <laughs> getting, get out, get the job done. And love yeah. and acceptance. Yeah. There was no intimacy. There was no attention. There was no tenderness. So those are the places I started to reconnect to my sense of self-worth, to my sense of unconditional, positive self-regard. And the unconditional part's really hard. Like that's really the key hard but it's also the most important part because it's easy to say nice things to myself when I think I'm doing a great job when I'm being valuable Mm -hmm. that's great I can say at a girl I can say all kinds of nice things when I'm doing the quote-unquote right thing it's when I've fallen short it's when I've screwed it up it's when I've blown it off those are the times that's when where the unconditional part and the practice of of moving toward removing the conditions as a requirement for being kind to myself. Mm, Love that. I know we talk a lot about dogs showing unconditional love, but I learn from my two dogs every single day. And as you were talking about that unconditional love, I was just thinking through how they do that so incredibly well. Like I don't yell at my dogs anymore when they're puppies, you know, you'd have those moments where you just lost the pot and I very rarely reprimand them. And even the other day, one of my dogs jumped up on the bed and did this thing. And I was like, why? And I just couldn't be angry. I was trying to be like, this is not the done thing. 
but she was just too cute. And I think the point is that they just, no matter what, no matter how you are, whether you're having the worst day, the grumpy day, whether you did tell them off before that, they just still like you're the best. It's almost like, as you said, you need to parent your inner child to the point that they then become this thing that has this unconditional love and turns up always thinking that you are the best things and sliced bread, even when you screw up, even when you have failures, because they're all part of being beautifully human, right? And I actually really embrace failure and screw ups. Now I talk about it a lot in the book because the best lessons that I've learned and the best growth that I've had has always come from something that felt like a big, massive whop ass failure of a moment without which I wouldn't have got to where I got, or I wouldn't have had the insight that I had or the breakthrough that I had. So even though it feels a little painful, I actually really embrace them now because I'm, oh, excellent. There's something really good on the other side of this pain and this shitty moment. So I just love that you shared those because two things that might surprise people, but one, speaking to yourself in a way that you want to actually be heard and spoken to and respected and acknowledging and being present with your full self in every moment, which makes you more aware of your humanness, right? And who you are and celebrating all the facets of you. So I find that really fascinating. And as a result of that, not only to skip forward, but what started happening for you and was it quite impactful quickly or was it more a process? Like I'd be just really curious because the power of language and how we speak to ourselves and our inner thoughts, we can shift those in an instant often. But how did it happen for you from then on and what happened? Many things. It absolutely transformed my life. Hearing you talk about that, I do want to talk about one thing I noticed early on, because I think this does come up a lot for folks when they start to think about using you're the best, like using that encouraging frame. I remember in the beginning being so scared to let that go because it was the only surefire way I knew to motivate myself. And letting go of that, I thought, I can't give that up. That's the only way I know to get my butt in gear when I really am procrastinating or when I really don't want to do the thing or when I don't want to go to the gym or when I don't want to make the phone call or whatever it is. That kind of what I would have called tough love mm-hmm. before, I was survival level terrified to give that up. I was certain that without that, I would just turn into an amoeba blob of nothingness. <laughs> like I was just pretty sure I would be a complete failure. It felt like my last resort boundary mm-hmm. when I, all else had failed, but that was the thing I could turn to. So for folks listening, if that comes up, it's perfectly normal. And being on the other side of this, I can tell you that that is not the case at all. Mm-hmm. The opposite is true. So what's happened for me since then It really has allowed me to be more, I use the word sober, to be more sober about my work. And to me, sober is just clear vision. When it was all muddled in with what I thought about myself and how Mm. I felt about myself, the possibilities I saw were limited. The risks I was willing to take, everything I do, I refer to as an experiment because it lets me just be playful about it and not make mistakes too hard. The experiments I'm able to run, if I were still living in a mindset that I needed to be successful or had to give myself a hard time when I didn't do the right thing, 
none of the things I've created that through play and experimentation would be possible mm-hmm. because I'm able to look at, is this thing valuable to me? Is this the thing I want to give? And who am I excited to give it to? And where are those people? And how fun will that be when we find each other? And I want to give them the thing that they're really excited to get. It infused all of my work with this just full of possibility kind of energy. Mm. And if I were still trying to, again, outsource my sense of self-worth, that set of possibilities would be so much more narrow. Yeah, I love that. Such a beautiful example. I just love this. I love how life just keeps teaching you lessons. Even just in the last couple of weeks, having a very different attitude towards my 10K club and just holding it in loving regard, being so excited by the beautiful members that are in it, loving the work that we're doing and not thinking about, oh, how do I get more people in the club? Which, you know, as a membership, you want to be doing thinking about growth, et cetera, because the more people in there, the more beautiful connections happen and more people can help each other and support and their wisdom, et cetera. But I just kind of sat back and went, I just love this group of women, these queens, as I call them, and we're doing amazing work. And I'm excited about focusing on what I want to share with them next, what I want to teach, what our next journey is. And instantly, like by taking the pressure off, what are the numbers, et cetera, I've had all these people inquiring and joining. And it's like, huh, because I'm in that place of playfulness and joy and what's possible and oh, what's next? And I'm not focusing on the how we get there. I'm just focusing on the vision that I hold. And I do totally believe that people read that energy and they read what you put out into the world and they see that even if they're not visibly seeing it. And it's just curious. It's also timing and being open to that and ready. If I was back in my critical place of, oh, what needs to happen and how can we make this better and what aren't I doing? I just feel like that repels people. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, so I really loved your example and I wanted to share that because it just never ceases to amaze me, the lessons that we learn when we surrender our attachment to the outcome and focus on what we'd love to have happen, but we don't have any attachment to that outcome. Still a work in progress. I've realized that I'm really not that good at it, but when I do it, it's awesome. So Yeah, listening to that example, even noticing your body when you talk about focusing on the numbers, it's exhausting to be Mm -hmm. in that place. The amount of energy it takes to be in the, how do I fix this thing I don't want place? Mm. So I just made a big move in all kinds of ways. Continents from being a nomad to having a house and (gasps) having a lease and owning a couch and (laughs) doing all the things I didn't think I was going to do. I've had some hard moments and I've had some moments of overwhelm and I'm never going to get this done. And why don't you have this done already? And why are your dirty dishes still by the sink? And just some really tough moments of feeling like I'm failing at this thing and it's not what I want it to be. I have re-upped my commitment to unconditional positive self-regard, to looking at myself the way that your dogs look at you and think you're just the best. And I've deliberately chose in those hard moments to be encouraging, give myself a pep talk. Thank goodness no one else lives here because I've talked to myself (laughs) nonstop and it has been, you're doing a great job. You're taking this one step at a time. There's going to be a day when this is better. Just literally talking myself each day in those hard moments. Here's the trick. It all goes faster. Yeah. I've gotten 10 10 times more things done because I didn't create the resistance. No one likes to be spoken to. 
that other way. No one is motivated truly by, you're an idiot. Why can't you do this? You're lazy. That doesn't give anyone extra energy to get the dishes done. Yeah. So that's the paradox too, is that's also been the opposite of my original theory was. Mm, That's really interesting. And I'd love to just now merge into, I think, what we're talking about energies, because I know this is something that you love to talk about. And I'm really always fascinated about when we use more of our feminine energy, a lot of that self-compassion, loving kindness, gentleness, communication, empathy, all those good things. And when we switch into our masculine energy to, dare I say, get things done or achieve things or look at some of those numbers and some of those metrics, but be in a space where the energy feels right. And just literally as we're recording this episode, my partner and I are doing some bank switching In fact, I was at a webinar last night and it was called How to Cheat on Your Bank. I thought it was a brilliant title, but it really was just looking at your options. And sometimes I just love being in the numbers. Like I love my partner's brain. He's super smart, but I love being the numbers and looking at all the options and the different aspects that we can have and how we can leverage our money and investment. And then there's other times where I'm like, I just want to be coaching or I just want to be writing or creating. So I'd love for you to just speak to as we sort of finish up here, because I can't believe how quick the time has gone when it's best to embrace those energies, because I feel that we often think we shouldn't be in one. There's so much around women having to step up into their masculine in order to be seen and heard and rule and lead, which is so untrue. I think we can be the most kind, empathetic, generous, amazing, spirited, emotional women and be kick-ass leaders. So when have you found it's best to navigate using both masculine and feminine energy? So this is a generalization, but in general, feminine energy is expansive. And let me also just vouch this by saying, no matter what gender your body expresses and identifies itself as, we all have access to feminine and masculine energy. We do. Feminine energy tends to be expansive. It wants to include, it wants to spread wide, it wants to explore. Masculine energy wants to refine and narrow and choose. Masculine energy is always trying to narrow and get to singular. And feminine energy is always trying to essentially just become infinite. Beautifully put. (laughs) I can see how both of those can work for or against you, depending on what you're needing to do, right? Decision-making time, creative time. Yes. So... With that, I find that feminine energy is really helpful to be in at the beginning of something. When I'm trying to understand the scope of a project, when I'm trying to gather all the information, we live in a hyper-masculine, dominant culture and society for the most part. And so we categorically rush to decision. We try to refine and narrow and close much, much sooner than is efficient. There's a ton of efficiency in feminine energy, especially in the beginning. So letting the feminine expand, ask all the questions, explore all the possibilities, let all the data in. And then masculine is great. And I would even say there's a really strong role for feminine decision-making. Feminine decision-making is instinctual It doesn't require a lot of deliberation in words. It doesn't care what the spreadsheet says. It knows the answer and it can't really tell you why it knows. It just does. (laughs) And it is always right. My feminine energy just knows. And if it doesn't know, it's because it's not time yet and we don't have all the information and the timing isn't quite right. And so I don't force my feminine into a decision 
anymore because I have learned that if I will give her the time and space she needs, she is precisely accurate. So I don't even let my masculine make the decision. My masculine can weigh in. My masculine's really great at crunching the numbers, which I find so feminine is flowy energy. Feminine is the water and masculine is the riverbed. The mm-hmm. masculine gives us the structure so that we can flow with direction and intention and purpose. Beautiful. I like to run the numbers because I want to know my boundaries. I want to know the frame I'm in. I want to know what the range of number of people I might want for this program could be. So I use masculine to create the riverbed, but feminine is the flow and feminine chooses the direction. And then masculine is great for execution. Masculine is great for, okay, I've already made the decision. I know which thing I want to do and which direction I'm headed. Now, how do I do that? And that's when masculine comes in and goes, all right, we'll break this down and you're going to need 10 of these and four of those. And you're going to have to do this over two weeks. Masculine is great for the planning and the execution. Beautiful. Love it. So for those of you listening in, I'd love for you to think about when you've switched between those energies and maybe you can use them in a better way. I love the idea of the feminine's kickstarting a project and then at which points you can lean into your masculine to implement or execute. So yeah, perfect. Absolutely love it. And I wish we do more of that and I wish we use more of that Mm. to our advantage and really sense when that is best time to use it. So have you got you mean just one tip of when people can kind of tune in is there I'm a huge person for instinct and gut feel and using the four brains that we have our heart our mind our gut and our yoni we're needing to tune into the yoni a little bit more sometimes but yeah I just love that you can make decisions from each of those places do you feel there's a way that we can go oh I need to be more in this energy today or is it instinctual imagine it'd be more instinctual for women than for men maybe but I could be wrong Men have really strong feminine instinct. We've just made it across the board. We have devalued feminine instinct. Mm -hmm. We have devalued the gut, the yoni, the womb. I have a male partner right now, but we're always talking about his womb. He has a very strong womb. That's awesome. So to answer your question, is there one place (laughs) you can look out for? When you have a sense that something is being forced, when something's just not quite coming together, When you start to sit down and think about a project or a task you need to do and you feel your energy constrict, have you ever had that thing happen where you sit down to think about a thing that you think you're excited about, you want it to happen, and you actually get like a brain fog? All of a sudden, you just Mm. have a hard time even thinking about the thing. To me, that's a clue that I'm forcing something before it's time. So I need to let my feminine do a little bit more feeling a little more intuiting. I need to give her a little more time and space to expand before I try to force a decision, force an action. So anytime something's feeling heavy or forced, one of the things I love working with my clients around that feels like such a simple thing, but is a game changer, is just noticing when something feels off. Can't put your finger on it. You're not really sure why, but every time you talk to this person or talk about this project, something just feels off. Mm -hmm. That is a clue that you are either completely ignoring your feminine (laughs) uh, energy or you need to lean more in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, perfect. When that part does the picking and does the direction finding, then masculine is 
fast. Then masculine can come in and do the thing. That's why I love talking about feminine energy through the lens of efficiency because I, I love efficiency. I love least amount of energy output possible. I love to do all the things with all my energy. If I will let her decide and choose, and masculine's fast, super efficient. There's not a lot of trial and error. There's not a lot of back to the drawing board because I got it right the first time. Mm. I love it. And I think it's really important to think when you're designing your business or your career around this, how you can use these different energies and really bring it into your work, including even in how you set up your day, your morning routine, the type of work you're doing. I'm sure you see this as well, depending on how your energy feels like, you know, if you're lacking in energy or if you're sprightly, sprightly, it's a weird word. Anyway, you know what I mean? Energize, like really leaning in so that you can structure your work day to tune into those things. I think it's important. So for those listening and enjoying this, I hope that you're starting to sort of feel, oh yeah, I can see that why doing my finance it's in the morning when I have the most creative juices going is potentially not the best thing. Or I can see why coming up with ideas on a Friday afternoon when I'm tired is maybe not when I'm going to be in that best place to see it through or really lean into what my gut's telling me. So yeah, just I think it's always food for thought, right? Like to really reflect on the patterns that we've adopted and some of the habits that we have and which of those are healthy and serving us and which of those could we break or interrupt and replace with ones that are more in line with our energy. Oh, so much that we could talk about. Yeah, so much more. And I think it's worth another conversation to go deeper. But for now, I would just love for people to find out more about you, how they can continue the conversation, how they can learn more about the work that you do. Thanks. So yeah, I would love another conversation. There's so much to this. So my website, the best place for folks to start, just getting a sense of who I am and some of the things I have to share is at untamingthewild.com. Love it. There's a meditation there. Actually, I did a workshop for a group of entrepreneurs around money, value, and worth. And from that, I created this self-love, self-worth visualization and meditation. So that's on my website. Folks can find that under the, the goodies tab. If you're really just getting started with, I don't even know, you know, I've talked to so many people who say, I don't even know what it feels like to feel love for myself. It's a way to start just getting that sense in your body. So Untaming the Wild is the place to start. I'm on all the social medias and I'm always open to folks reaching out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. So Awesome. We will link to that in the show notes and definitely to that gift. That sounds fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your energy today and your insights and your sharing, your vulnerability. Um, I always love learning through other people's journeys because you can usually resonate and see bits of yourself within that and gain so many nuggets of wisdom. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope that you enjoyed episode 115 of the Untapped podcast or 115 if you want to say it that way. Please do go and visit untamingthewild.com to learn more about Angie and tag me on Instagram at Natalie Sisson if you enjoyed this. Maybe share a shot of where you're listening into this podcast. I always love that. What you enjoyed about this one in particular, thank Angie as well. And let's keep the conversation going. If you haven't yet, I would so love it if you would take two minutes to leave a five-star review or whatever ranking you want for this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever, whatever podcast platform you're listening in. Often they have it right there and then you can just click and rate and rank. And I would really, really appreciate that. For now, though, I would love you also to come across and find all the other podcasts that we've done. You can find that at nataliesisson.com forward slash podcast. 
or you can just simply scroll up through your feed if you've subscribed here. We have so many more great episodes coming out. And as we roll into the month of May, if you're listening to this live, we have so many great topics coming up all about different ways to get paid to be you and different business models are going to help you do that. And obviously design your business around what you love most. So more greatness, goodness, awesomeness coming your way. I hope you have an amazing week, tap into your potential and go get them.